What's good, everyone, and welcome back to Legend of the Glorio Heroes, episode 36. By the time you're listening to this, Thanksgiving is over. Maybe you've taken care of some shopping. Uh, maybe you have uh, survived some heated political exchanges of your own. And uh, how about you uh, wash that down with a nice palate cleanser in the form of more heated political exchanges? <laughs> so that's what we're here for in our premiere recap and reactions podcast for the legendary 1988 science fiction OVA. As always, I'm your host, G. And with me, as always, my co-host and Thanksgiving dinner maestro himself, Eero. <laughs> uh, outing me on the podcast, Tumbo oh, IRL. People <laughs> should know about your the multitude Whatever. of I'm talents here. you possess. I'm still here cooking Thanksgiving dinner for friends and family. And we are all very grateful. But uh, celebrate Thanksgiving in uh, the Free Planets Alliance. That's a good question. I was gonna say, like, if you had to, it, let's say, let's say, Young and Reinhardt both invite you to Thanksgiving <laughs> dinner, and you can only attend one. Which one do you go Ouch. to? Because I, I feel like the FBA dinner would be like less. I mean, it would be more fun in the like these people genuinely like each other and like want to have a good time uh-huh. way. But I feel the food like Reinhardt's Empire is probably like really nice, really good, and like you. It, it, let's say you can only. Let's say you you only get to live in the Legend of the Galactic Heroes universe for one week, right? Like you 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 don't get to you don't get to go to the other dinner next year. Like it's this is a one and only. Okay, and it's uh, like uh, go to go to Fazan's dinner and get the best of both worlds. <laughs> oh yes, yes, I'm sure Rubinsky holds a very lavish <laughs> Thanksgiving dinner. And I'm sure Rubinsky is the only one left standing at the end of his Thanksgiving dinners. <laughs> uh, but, you know, I'm just saying because, like, yes, like, Yang's Thanksgiving dinner would probably be more, like, fun. And there'd probably be some really good stories to tell. Poplin would probably say something inappropriate. But if you're just here for probably. spectacle, like, if you just want to, like, if you want to be the fly on the wall and watch, like, the fucking Thanksgiving family argument to end all arguments... I'm saying maybe you go to Reinhardt's Thanksgiving dinner where Bittenfield, Oberstein, Roy and okay, Paul, okay. Mittermeier, <laughs> Mecklinger, like oh they're all God. there. Like I'm just saying, you know, what is the what is the Thanksgiving <laughs> dinner where like Bittenfield like wants mashed potatoes, but they're on the other end of the table next to Oberstein. And like, I refuse to the right, right. Like, Valen is also there too, but he's busy talking to somebody else. And like, asking Mittermeier to get the mashed potatoes from Oberstein. Right, it's like, right, it's like, it's like, hey, Mittermeier, could you pass the potatoes? And Mittermeier's like, I'm like three seats away. Like, <laughs> Like Mittermeier kind of like Mittermeier understands what Bittenfield <laughs> is trying to imply here, but Mittermeier can't exactly reach the potatoes that uh, easily himself. All he's trying to entertain Roy and Paul, who's had, had, cons- <laughs> had a few too many glasses of wine and will not shut up about the inferior gender right now. <laughs> oh God! Just say like, considering these past couple episodes. Bittenfield might not even like imply he doesn't want oversized mashed potatoes. You'd just be like, I don't want those because they're next to that fucking rat at the other end right. of the table. Yes, yes. Maybe, maybe the situation is even worse. Maybe it's not that the mashed potatoes are next to Oberstein on the table. Maybe <laughs> Oberstein is the one who brought the mashed potatoes, and everybody kind of begrudgingly <laughs> admits they're like pretty good. They're really smooth, not too heavy, not lumpy. I don't know. Like, he only eats spoiled chicken, right? <laughs> 
<laughs> Maybe. That, to be fair, yes, yes. I, I could definitely see uh, Oberstein as the, the kind of Oberstein dude who's just did obsessed the turkey, with, and like, it's just a boiled whole turkey. It's just right, like pallid and gray. He, and Right. He is obsessed with like just nutritional efficiency. Like, why would I bother roasting <laughs> this turkey? Like, it's like dry and shitty because... <laughs> I cooked it to the required temperature all the way through yeah. for the right amount of time. No salt. Look, I'm just saying this Thanksgiving dinner likely ends with Bittenfield <laughs> smashing the turkey platter on Oberstein's head. And as much as I'd love to sit around and get drunk with Poplin and Dusty and like shoot champagne at each other. You just kind of want to see everything deteriorate. <laughs> there, Yes, there might be something fun to watching Reinhardt's Thanksgiving dinner just completely fall apart. It's the fate of all autocracies, man. Indeed. <laughs> Uh, speaking of the fate of all autocracies, uh-huh. we're here to talk about an interesting, a very interesting trio of yes, episodes episode. of Legend of the Galactic Heroes. <laughs> episode 102, A Challenge to Arms. Episode 103, Cosmic Mosaic. And episode 104, Toward Peace via Bloodshed. Yes. <laughs> So we open up with episode 102. For those who need a reminder, uh, Julian and the Iserlone Republic have officially declared their support for the protests on Heinesen yes. and have declared uh, war, straight up capital W, war on the Empire. We're, yep, we're doing stuff. And uh, Julian has said he has a plan to lure the Empire into the Iserlone Corridor. Yes, and his plan is... To go towards the Imperial side of the corridor. Yes. And Valen's like, I'm sure they're up to something, but we have to kind of go in now because it's getting from behind because what else are we going to do? So... Wallen, Wallen, as I mean, as always, the the movers and players in this setting, they they're not stupid. They know something's going on, but also they cannot deny that this is a like a tactical opportunity that they have to take. So. Valen yes. carefully advances into the Iserlone corridor. Meanwhile, on the other end, uh, we meet yes. uh, Ad- Admiral Wagnesail. Wagnesail. I Wagnesail. Wagnesail. I don't think this dude matters. Frankly, I don't think this dude matters after this episode. So apologies to the Wagnesail oh, yes. estate, but he's basically uh, he's, shit talks. Uh, send some shit talk to these lone guys. Calls yes, them stray yes. dogs. Got to whip yeah, these he, dogs into shape, etc. Right, right. He kind of starts talking a big game. Uh, Poplin comments that uh, for for, <laughs> for diplomatic shit talk, they're not very good at it. Poplin recommending that instead, perhaps Wagnasale should instead call them bloody clowns dancing on knives with ropes around yes. their necks. Which let's see what man. else we got here. Disgrace of the universe. Enemies of peace and unity. Deranged rebels. Idiotically optimistic, pure German culture who don't think about meeting their death. <laughs> Look, uh, we know Dusty is supposibly the writer here, but Poplin is the one uh, who... Multidisciplinary Poplin over here. Yes, is maybe the one who has a way with words. But, yes, uh, and so... A head to battle. Yes, yes, we, we find out that... Uh, Julian's fleet arrives at the Empire exit of the Iserlone Corridor. We are told it is uh, Vagnasale's 8,000-strong uh, fleet versus the FBA's 6,500. Um, you know, it kind of starts off initially with the usual laser back and forth, but then 
Uh, it's time for some small fleet action, baby. We haven't yeah. gotten in a while. It's time for Poplin to get back into what he does best, and what he does best is not very nice. Right. We get this pretty good sequence of just like dog space dog fighting. Oh yes, yes. We uh, we are reminded that uh, Poplin might be a fucking a dumbass and a goofball, but also Poplin is maybe the single most dangerous individual in space <laughs> when it comes to dog fighting. Uh, we are told that this battle marks Poplin's 250th kill. Pretty uh, good. Which I, is, I uh, assume that's quite high. Good. That's pretty good, assuming that uh, Legend of the Galactic Hero still operates on the uh, the standards that five kills, five confirmed kills, is uh, what you need to be an ace. Yeah. Uh, Poplin is, in that case, a uh, an ace 25 times over or something, <laughs> uh, 50 times over, basically. Yes. Uh, the narrator informs us that uh, Poplin's uh, Poplin's leadership in this dogfighting would leave a landmark in the history of galactic dogfighting. <laughs> is, uh, this, is this like the sickest air battle in the textbooks? Yes, basically. Uh, yeah, basically, yes. Like this is one for the history books. Uh, we are told that uh, it is sixteen FPA or uh, sixteen Israelo Republic casualties to the Imperial forces one hundred and four. Two hundred forty. So no wait, no two hundred forty total deployed. My mistake. Yes, so 240 uh, Israelone uh, deployed, uh, 16 casualties. I forget how many the Imperial forces deployed, but they lost 104. So that is basically 1 to 9 odds, 1 to 8 odds, which is fucking a massacre by dogfighting standards. Like, right. Um, like, you know, we are usually told, like, oh, the, the FPA tended to operate at a, like, technical, defi- like a, a technology, technological deficiency to the Empire, but apparently, uh, apparently the Imperial forces, uh, their dogfighting core is uh, not up not, to snuff. Not up to snuff because they get fucking slaughtered. Uh, we are told that Vagnasel, however, is uh, not a complete idiot, and in fact uses a uh, a copies a tactic that was once used by one Admiral Sidile, uh in an offense in a uh, failed offensive against Izerlone. Right. Uh, Vagnasel decides to. Uh, pursue uh per, per, to close the distance essentially against julian's fleet uh by kind of using uh, what is known as parallel pursuit essentially uh keeping the same distance between uh Vagnasil's fleet and julian's fleet as julian uh slowly retreats towards the thor hammer uh essentially in theory to prevent uh julian from ever being able to fire the thor hammer because of uh uh Vagnasil's close distance to julian's fleet right uh but of which course, is again, yes. Go ahead. Uh, which again, a solid tactic, not a, not a foolish tactic. Like Vagnasel is certainly not like like we've been watching DNT, so we have been reminded <laughs> of like what is like the very what is the like lowest end of Empire like admiralship in the history of this organization. Mm-hmm. And so to compare to that, like Vagnasel is certainly no genius, but he's not he's not a fool either. But uh, Julian, however, had uh, calculated for this. You were yes. about to say, Euro? Yeah, Julian had calculated for this and was basically very closely managing how close they were and how long it would take to shoot the Thor hammer, etc., etc. And they say over the course of two days, they uh, maintain this close distance. Yes, we find out retreat. that, we, you know, we were talking about last, last episode, like what kind of admiral is Julian? And turns out... Julian is the guy who always picks the but like most technical fighter in fighting games, the one with like three unique <laughs> meters and like a separate ammo counter. He is the dude who like 
Julian is probably like if we're talking about like MMOs, Julian is probably the tank actually because usually in MMOs tanks have to are the ones who have to juggle not just their own uh cooldowns but everybody else's cooldowns. Right. And Julian is definitely the dude who is like mentally keeping a timer of like all right the white mage's cooldown will end in 4 seconds like the warrior's cooldown will end in 3 like the mages is going to like going to get their spell back in 8 seconds at the same time that the bard gets their buff in 7 like turns out julian is that kind of player because this whole battle is just like him like just like perfectly managing like the timelines of every combatant in this in this battle. Yeah. And basically like as they finally get within firing range, he manages to lure Wagonsala in like just close enough like making him think he'll have a shot at killing the uh Easel and Fleet and then blast blast him basically with the Thor yeah, hammer. With the Thor hammer, yes. Turns out that uh, Julian, again, calculated all of this, knew he'd have just enough time to pull it off, so he gets out of the way. Thorhammer fires, Vagnasale can't get away in time, gets uh, gets his ass melted by the Thorhammer, or his fleet gets its ass melted yeah. by the fleet, he's alive, and that gets him to uh, retreat. Uh, right, just as, just as the Volan fleet shows up? Yes, yes, perfectly timed that just as Volan's fleet arrives, uh... Magnus Sales is already retreating and too far away to reinforce. Right. And this gives Julian enough time to basically turn around because you have to imagine like if Iserlone is like a big orb in the middle, mm-hmm. like got to go around it. Right. Like Julian and Magnus Sales fleet are on one side, Volan's fleet's on the other. And yeah, basically Julian sends Magnus Sales fleet fleeing and that gives Julian enough time to basically circumvent <laughs> Uh, right. uh, um, user alone to go meet Volin, whereas Volin, especially Volin's because like, he yeah. sees the Thor hammer being fired, thinks we can push in because they'll have enough time before the Thor hammer can turn around. But again, mm-hmm. Julian's done all the math and he knows yep. that he can pull this off because, uh, yeah, he uh, he goes around to the other side of user alone to face uh, Volin, who yeah. thinks that like they can take him in a pretty straight fight, yeah. but uh, turns but, uh, out that he has yeah. not uh, seen all of Julian's fleet. Indeed, uh, Murkatz has is leading a detachment from the blind spot to yes. hit Volan from the side as he's pushing in, do partial encirclement type thing. Yes, yes, and basically through that and Julian's own defensive tactics, uh, basically pinned down Volan long enough for the Thor hammer to turn around and finish charging, and yes. manages to get two shots off on the Volan fleet. You have this yeah. great image of like. The Legend of Galactic Heroes style, like way of them portraying fleets with all the, like the little lights like, in the in the night sky, in space. yeah, and then just two giant gaping holes in that fleet in, yes. in that in that array of stars. Or we also get it's, uh, <laughs> yeah. We also get uh, the obligatory shots of inside ships of people being vivisected by oh, debris. Oh yeah, there's a pretty gnarly shot out of their moms. And- yeah, just this dude crawling with like his intestines hanging out, like in case like. You thought Legend of the Galactic Heroes was not about to admonish you for feeling having fun watching this battle, yeah. but we still had fun. So. Well, yes, uh, and so both the Valen and Vagensile fleets retreat uh, yeah. after being punched on the nose by the Thor hammer. Yeah, and it's 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 a really it's a really neat battle because like there's this feeling of like if Vagnasale had not retreated, he would have 
he would have he would have been in in a place where he could have seen Mercat's fleet in Volan's blind spot. Right. But specifically because of the way Julian sent Vagnasail uh, uh, fl- uh, 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 running away, like, like it's one of those tactics that like only works if everything is executed perfectly. Right. And like the fact that Julian was able to pull this off even without an Edwin Fisher to coordinate everything, I think like. I think it speaks really strongly to Julian's, like, capability as a commander. Like, I think that prior to this episode, we were wondering how they were going to, like, justify Julian's ability to, like, win this battle. Like, oh, is yeah. Murkatz going to, like... Like, is the explanation going to be, oh, Murkatz handled most of the heavy lifting, and, like, Julian was just kind of there for the ride? But no, like, this is, like... This victory is solely on Julian's back, basically. Like, mm-hmm. he... He wins this fight, and it's, uh... As fucked up as it is to celebrate the deaths of thousands or hundreds of thousands, it's like <laughs> yes. it's also kind of it's like it's kind of gratifying to see how much our boy has grown up since like episode one or two or whatever when he first showed up. Like, like this is the same boy that was pouring Yang Wen Li tea and like waking him up because <laughs> he would keep sleeping in. And that boy has grown into a man, and that man has like taken command, taken command, and stepped up to the plate. And ensured that at least for today, at least for the next couple of days, the Ezer Lone Republic would survive. Indeed. And as you say, like, the narrator goes off on his whole, this whole fucking sequence. Oh, yes, of course. He's like, ah, yes, Julian had respect for Valen after meeting him on Earth. And perhaps it's contradictory and hypocrisy to have respect for the enemy. Right. However, then, people who show respect for the enemy are extolled more than those without respect for the enemy. <laughs> yes. Perhaps having respect at all for the the character of military people is hypocrisy. Yes, perhaps that is the irredeemable facet of warfare. <laughs> uh, narrator really, I would say these three episodes, narrator really getting into it in these three episodes. Just like, like usually the narrator does not editorialize, but you know, every now and then mm. he kind of whips out a statement like this right. to be like, oh, Boy, by the way, you- <laughs> that 400,000 people died, but we're cheering yes, that that's yes. a victory. It also, that's oh, a small victory. Right. Like that is a quote unquote small victory. And also, man, what a swell guy Julian is that even though he killed 400,000 people, at least he's respectful about it. And it's like, uh, a, a, lot, a lot of good that respect does if like my dad or my husband died you know for your your respect like you know it's it you know the narrator sometimes just he just really likes to get into it sometimes well, they say one victory greedily demands more victories until death yes yes narrator continues to get into it <laughs> yes and that you know what, what was the other statement here that that the tactical victory of the week is the mother of the strong's retaliation or something, something like that. Like yes. just, uh, just really, and it's not just the narrator. Everybody's kind of getting into their big hoity toity statements. Uh, Shen cop, uh, you know, Shen cop comments on this fight because he didn't do much here. Like I think Poplin does are kind of giving him a little shit. Like, Hey, Shen cop, uh, you know, turns out we don't, roll, do we don't always, we don't always need you to win our fights. And Shen cop is like <laughs> exhibition games are left to the second and third string players. 
my time is going to be during the big finale. And Oof. I feel like I get a little worried when Shank Cup says stuff like that because that's your death flag. Because that is like death flag number one. I mean, for Shank Cup, that's like death flag number 30. But I mean, yes. <laughs> but yes, I feel like we are getting very close to that becoming a reality just, you know, because of our meta knowledge of, look, we're at episode 102. Like, there's not going to be a lot of close combat fights left in this TV series. And so, like, whichever one comes up next might very well be Shenkop's last. So, yeah. you know, but it's also a thing of, like, Yang, Yang did not deserve to die the way he did, but the way he died was also the most fitting way for a man like him to die. Like, mm-hmm. because Yang is not a climactic person, you know? That right. said... If there is anybody in this series who is going to die on a body of the corpses of his enemies, <laughs> it's probably Shenkop. So, <laughs> however, however that man goes out, I will be there to to salute him to the bitter end. So, Indeed. you know, we will see how that goes. But meanwhile, uh, Reinhardt gets news of the defeat. Uh, we yes. see that Reinhardt is there with Hilda, and they're like morning bathrobes or something. Yeah, yes, in their mansion. Um, Right, and of course, Hilda, being Hilda, advocates for diplomacy. Yes. Not for rushing into war, because she is smart. And Reinhard continues the trend of not listening to Hilda, and immediately uh-huh. meets with his admirals about what to do about Iserlone. Yes. Uh, we kind of have a good bit where, kind of once again, um, echoing the uh, what the narrator said earlier about, you know, respect for the enemy. We have a bit here where Mittermeier is... Uh, kind of muses that he is glad that Murkatz is alive, whereas uh, Mecklinger becomes the voice of the narrator, and, and he himself muses that perhaps this is an irredeemable trait of military men. Uh, and we have been feeling, being like, right, Murkatz is still alive. <laughs> right, yeah, there's a great look on his face of like, like, like Binfield is the guy. Like Binfield is the viewer of this show who like forgets about characters that they do not show up every few episodes, <laughs> and so of course he is naturally like stricken by this realization because he is a dude who's like right that character who hasn't shown up for like a dozen episodes. Forgot that he's still here. Right, uh, but before the uh, the expedition can uh, can kick off. Uh, Reinhardt is stricken by uh, by fever, Gas. by sickness, once again. Once again. Uh, and uh, the narrator says that this time his temperature is so high as if to make the noble doctors themselves pale with anxiety. And it's almost like, now hear me out, this is a crazy thought, but it's almost <laughs> like autocratic governments are beholden to the whims and the condition of the man at the very top. Indeed. And that... The sole reason why this expedition doesn't happen is because of Reinhardt himself. Although it'd be interesting to think, like, on some levels, is because Reinhardt is also a military leader and always insists on leading from the front. Um, but like, if this was an autocrat, it was still an autocratic society, but the Kaiser himself was not also a military leader. If it was just the Kaiser, like, would this have been delayed? In the same I, way? I, th- I don't think it would. I think you are correct, Eero, that in many ways, this is a this is a problem of Reinhardt's own making. It is because of Reinhardt's insistence that Kaiser represents both the political and the military uh, head of right. state. 
So like this if is Kaiser what... Friedrich had fallen ill, like Muckenberger still might have gone out. Uh, yes, yeah, or, or possibly, yes. I mean, at worst, like, maybe they delayed for a few days to make sure that, like, the Kaiser doesn't sort of die from sickness, but, like, yes, like, Muckenberger or what have you probably would have let it himself. And I think that this is, like, what Jan constantly talks about, about, like, the 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 problem with when your military leadership and your political leadership end at the same spot at the top is that too much of it is beholden to a single position and like while that means that like when Reinhardt is at his best when Reinhardt is running on all cylinders that means the empire is like a more agile government than a, dem- a democracy could ever be but right. when that one part is mucked up is is broken then the entire machine falls apart. And I think that's kind of what we're seeing here is like, in in, in essence, the user loan kind of basically survives because of the providence of Reinhardt catching a cold again. So. Yes. And so you head into the next episode, 103, where Hilda is basically like, we should call your sister because you're not feeling well. Yes. Uh, and also, she's still here on Fazan. So we'll call her. <laughs> and, uh, and I think it is interesting that every time, like, if you think about here, and you also think about it when um, Anna Rose first came to Fazan for the wedding, every single mm-hmm. time Anna Rose and Reinhardt are in the same room, we don't get, we don't see the scene. We are not shown. Yeah, that's true. We are not shown what they say to each other. And same thing here, right? Anna Rose visits Reinhardt while he's sick. Again, Hilda, Hilda leaves, leaves the, the room, room. And then the scene cuts to Anna Rose exiting the room and speaking with Hilda. Like, I think I think, I think, think it is very intentional on their part that, like, whatever Anna Rose and Reinhardt have to say to each other is either not important enough for the plot. Right. Or, like, intentionally we are not meant to know. And either way, what does that imply about, like, the relationship that they now have here 100 episodes later? And I think that is kind of confirmed with what Anna Rose tells Hilda here. Right. Anna Rose is basically is extremely polite about saying she doesn't want to be here (laughs) to talk to Reinhard. Yeah, there's kind of an interesting thematic (sighs) element to Anna Rose's conversations with Hilda where Anna Rose is is very, like... I'm not going to say Anna Rose is like on the same level of a political player as a Reinhardt or a Hilda, but I think Anna Rose is actually displaying a surprising amount of political understanding mm-hmm. that she is doing in her in her own unique way. She's essentially washing her hands of yes. of Reinhardt. Like it's she Hilda's tells Hilda, now. "Your problem now." Right, like the mean way to do it would be basically Anna Rose is telling Hilda that Reinhardt is your problem now. Like I will not deal with Reinhardt any further. But of course, this is Anna Rose, so she says it in the nicest way possible right. of. No, please don't abandon yes, Reinhardt. Please take care of like, him. Right. Like, like, please take care of him as I would have, blah, blah, blah. Like, and essentially, Anna Rose is, like, admitting that, like, she knows that, like, if Reinhardt himself is not a toxic influence, then staying with Reinhardt is, in some ways, like, you know, it, it's sort of like how when people say things aren't, you know, political or an act can be apolitical. The very act of Anna Rose being in the vicinity of Reinhardt is in and of itself a political statement. And Anna Rose has decided yeah. that it is not worth worth it anymore. 
And yes, we, we have get this montage, yeah. <laughs> get this like dream sequence where she thinks about young Reinhardt and thinks about Kirky eyes and screen gets a nice pink filter. Yeah. And as it has disappears. And I kind of want to bring this up, like, just because like, I, was this ever confirmed up till now that like Anero's actually maybe definitely had feelings for Kirky eyes? Like, I, I don't think like it was ever it, like explicitly confirmed, but I think we all knew. I mean, I th- well, yeah. I don't know. I, I don't know if it was necessarily so explicit. Like, I think that it was definitely obvious that Kirky Eyes had feelings for Anna Rose, but I think with Anna, like the other way around, I think it was always hard to tell if like Anna Rose was just being her like, you know, perfect noble princess, like <laughs> nice to everyone shtick, you know, to Kirky <clears throat> Eyes, or like if she. I don't know. I, I I feel like when at the end of season one, Reinhard asks her if she loved Kirky Eyes, and then we cut away combined with how she just <clears throat> her how she heard about it from Overstein and also just like sequestered herself for so long I feel like it was a thing that kind of went unsaid I guess so I guess when you put it like that yes there, there's there's more subtext there but I feel like this is a scene where they finally like explicitly say yeah Anna Rose totally had the, had the hots for her little brother's best friend, which is the name <laughs> of my upcoming light novel uh, spinoff for Legend of the Galactic Heroes. Um, I can't believe I'm the consort of uh, Fred, was it Friedrich von Goldenbaum of the Goldenbaum dynasty, but I'm in love with my younger brother's best friend. Uh, oh, boy. But yes. But yes. he's so, how many years younger than me? Um how many how many years is how many years how, how many years younger is Kirky Eyes to Anna Rose? Like cause like, you know, I'm not saying that like Anna Rose was eighteen when she got kidnapped by the by the by the Kaiser. Let's be real, the Kaiser probably doesn't care about age of consent. How old like, was Kirky Eyes? Like nineteen? When he died at, at time of I death. Probably, yeah, like tw- I I forget if he was both taller and older than than Reinhardt or just taller, but Okay, so, uh, but, uh, uh, pfft, Anna Rose is five years older than Kirky Eyes. Okay, that's not so weird then. Sure, sure. I right. was just. I was, it's I was weird cheering. when you're like. 19. Oh yeah, it's weird when you're like ten, but like. <laughs> <we're short>. Yes, <laughs> a little bit. I mean, I'm going by the ages sure, by the sure. age when I think Kirky Eyes first developed. Okay, crush sure Anna Rose, which. <laughs> but uh, but yes. Yeah, so after all of this, Reinhard orders. <sighs> Orders Oberstein <laughs> to go to Planet Heinison to deal with the insurgency. Right, and, that he is, and, stuff. and that he is to bring Mueller and Bittenfield with him. <laughs> and Bittenfield is fucking pissed about this. Uh, Bittenfield, very funny. <laughs> Bittenfield, Bittenfield quickly becomes the best character in the on the Empire side in the next two episodes. Uh, a Bitfield spitting more hot fire than I think any character has in the entirety of this series. Of just like straight uh, up, like I hate your fucking guts. <laughs> just someone's fucking face. The venom he spits. Like if you thought the letter to Bitfield from like Dusty was like kind of mean. Like Bit turns out turns out that we shouldn't feel bad for Bittenfield because Bittenfield dishes his, dishes it out just as much as he <laughs> takes it. Uh, Bitfield yes. like like lines like you know. Oberstein lived at his desk. He should have died at his desk. If only Kirk <laughs> Benfield finally, uh, uh, finally invokes the Kirky. If only Kirky eyes were here, uh, finally. by saying, if only Kirky eyes were here, I wouldn't have to deal with this fucking nonsense. Uh, 
Mittermeier gets the news about about Bittenfield and Mueller being sent with Oberstein and muses about how this situation is kind of a powder keg ready to go off. Yep. <laughs> we return to Heinesen. We get protests about democracy. We get a great Yang Wen Lee sign that's just like a picture of like yeah. you want to imagine that like in universe like somebody just went to a print shop and like printed out like a fucking two foot tall a picture stock of Yang photo Wen of Lee. Yang Wen Lee. Like yeah, just went to Google and Googled like Yang Wen Lee stock photo. There's like a watermark on it and everything. Just yeah. like cuts it out like paste to, to this like <laughs> fucking this, like, signboard yeah signboard um we find out that a uh, volan has returned to the uh to to uh what is it the gandharva star zone yes because uh, uh he didn't want to his fleet was exhausted after the battle and he didn't really want to immediately deal with the, like riots and insurgency so he yes. just kind of hung out at gandharva <laughs> yes which is maybe the smart play here <clears throat> and uh Man, this episode jumps around a lot. Like, we return back to Is It Alone, where we get yet another fantastic uh, conversation between Kazalnu and his wife. Yes. Um, also you know, had, we also have some Karen talking to Frederica about yes, yes, you're stuff, right. which uh, I guess is, okay, not that I'm necessarily a proponent of the Bestial test, which is a little bit out of date it has its flaws it has its flaws yes and it but is not uh, a... i think the scene technically passes the vegetal test oh finally it only took legend of the galactic episodes. heroes <laughs> three episodes for two yes. women to not talk about a man <laughs> yeah i mean look it passes yes yes Shrug. but again, yes <laughs> by, the, by, the, by the skin of its teeth passes but um but yes uh Kazanu talking about what to do with yang's remains yes. because frederica believes that yang would not want to be buried at Iserloan, but would have wanted to have uh, been laid to rest at heinison yes uh, uh Kazanu's wife hortense wonders uh <laughs> that right uh, okay yes what is it here that uh what shoot what is it uh i'm sorry i'm getting my my notes missed up uh, oh yeah, she is, she is talking to her daughter about how like the best way to like deal with a man when you when when a man isn't talking back to you is to tell them I know what you did. <laughs> uh, it's just a real good. <laughs> yes, yeah, very, very good, very good. Um, she's got a handle on things. She knows. Look, she knows who she married, and she knows she's got to like poke back at him, or else like. Uh-huh. You know he's gonna get he's gonna get you know an inflated sense of self worth, right. and uh, they talk a little. They think a little bit more about how being at ease alone is not self sufficient. Uh, it's a good strategic position, like militarily, but it's a bad position to be the capital of a institution. Yeah, that basically like Iserlone is in and of itself kind of a restricting factor, and that if they ever truly want the Iserlone Republic to become a legitimate political entity it will need like real land in the form of actual planets yes and uh, that one day like you know they will need to expand uh meanwhile they get they kind of have another uh leadership meeting to discuss the <laughs> yes. news that oberstein is the one being sent to uh to Heinesen. we have a good bit here where shen cup kind of muses that in his childhood he once saw a very dour shitty looking child and that maybe that was overstock <laughs> which is just a weird tangent to go on but uh but yes basically the, having overstein be around is trouble for them because dude will just do whatever it takes 
to get rid of Isola. Yeah, they kind of correct. We find out, you know, in hindsight that they correctly guess that Oberside is not the kind of dude who's going to come after us in a straight fight. He's going to play tricks. He's going to do things. He's going to try to draw us out yep. in ways that uh, may be considered morally reprehensible. Who could say? Yes. But, uh, and how basically, ideally, they need to be negotiating with Kaiser Reinhardt and not with Oberstein. Yes. yes. And Julian continues the stance of, we just need to kick his ass until he comes to the negotiation table with us, which, you know, so far sort of seems to be working. Yes. Uh, we find out that Reinhardt is celebrating his... Uh, by the way, it is now March. It's been like a couple... It's right. been like roughly like a this, month this, since the military of, battle. Yeah, the military offensive was delayed at least a month by yes. Reinhardt's illness. Right. If you're we sick for a fucking month, like... That's not good. Like... Yeah. It's, also... It's, it's not, I, sorry, go ahead. Frederick is too soon, isn't she, at this point? I need to, like, I need to do the math. Yeah, I do, I do mean Hilda. Yes. Yeah, I mean, she's, she's at least looking pregnant now. Well, yes. And, uh... I'd have to do the math of how long she's been pregnant at this point. I mean, my guess is that she definitely, like, cons... I mean, look, this is fiction, right? right? So the most dramatic thing is that she gives birth while Reinhardt is out. Of course. Warring or whatever. Uh, Reinhardt is still recovering from his sickness, yes, but... They uh, note that but, uh, Kaiser's birthday is a important holiday. All yes. soldiers get a day off and a pay bonus and there's sales in the streets. And Yes, yes. <laughs> Turns out that uh, the Black Friday of, of the Empire is uh, the Kaiser's birthday, which, <laughs> sure, why not? <laughs> Um, meanwhile, we find out that Reinhardt is not the only sick man in the yeah. galaxy. Uh, holy moly. Holy shit. This is not where I was like, expecting this to go. Yeah, last time we saw Rubinsky, dude was like having seizures and stuff. Here, he's just on, it looks like he's on death's door. Rubinsky looks like fucking Mr. House from Fall New Vegas. It's like, should, I mean, he should be in like a cryo tube or something. Yeah, I mean, straight up, just let's be real. Rubinsky looks like shit. Absolutely like he, is, he is bedridden like he can barely speak like he's barely conscious dominique is there just kind of continuing to do her thing of just fucking talking shit to rubinsky I'm still being just a femme fatale it just yes rubinsky's half dead <laughs> yes yes like it's almost like you almost start to feel bad for rubinsky now just because like the power like dynamic has shifted so dramatically right um i begin to continue to wonder if like they're going to confirm whether dominic had been poisoning rubinsky or not i mm. i'm not I, it's hard to tell at this point because yeah. like it's hard to, i mean the thing with dominic is it's just hard to tell like what is her agency in this story yeah but yeah. yes she does admit to rubinsky that yeah she let a uh, um what's her Elfried. name Elfried visit uh Roenthal uh she points out that hey Rubinsky all your plans have basically failed this year yes like all they've done is like benefit Reinhardt and even here in Rubinsky's like what seemed to be his death throes is still like nah I I still got the plan it's still going according to plan I swear and it's like I promise it's one of those things where it's like I think we were always convinced like to get a little meta here, I think, I think you and I were always convinced. Oh, Rubinsky is a big player in this story. I mean, like, he eventually, has been. I mean, he has been. But I think what I think what uh, you, you you get what I'm implying here, right? Like I think we always yes. thought on some level, oh, Rubinsky is eventually gonna like pull back the curtain and reveal like like because the, this whole thing is Rubinsky's always been operating in the shadows, but we always suspected like oh, when Rubinsky decides Coming it is finally open, time yeah. to like operate in the open. It's going to be major. 
Like, it's going to be a major change to the status quo. But he might have waited too long. Yeah, I think Rubinsky might have waited too long. Like, Rubinsky was so obsessed with his perfect Keikaku, by the way, Keikaku means plan. Wow, man. (laughs) But, uh, you know, just, uh, you know, just, uh, just, he's so obsessed with his, uh, with his big grand scheme Uh that he spent too much time preparing for it and not actually executing it until, like, it's now too late. And it's kind of making me begin, begin to wonder, like, was Rubinsky actually all talk, even from the very beginning? Like, like, was Rubinsky the guy who was just, like, convinced he was the smug snake, like, crossing his legs in, like, his office, like, chuckling to himself at how the galaxy was, like, you know, he held the galaxy with, with him, to, you know, to, by his strings, and then when push came to shove, it turns out he actually did not have what it took to, to Might control be, it all. Because we don't have a lot of time left. <laughs> yeah, and I don't think Rubinsky has a lot of time left. Yeah. So I, I think it's just it's it's interesting. I think it is an interesting like in many ways like if if Yang died like an ignoble you know anticlimactic end because in many ways that was the most appropriate way for Yang to die. I wonder if the same thing will happen to Rubinsky. Right. Like, the Having all, this, just... all the schemes aren't enough. Or something. Yeah, and like, or, or more the fact that just like Rubinsky dies in the shadows, right? Mm. Like, 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 they have, ju- like, they have, ju- like, the Empire have just learned the truth of Rubinsky's involvement in the plots, right? right? Like, Kessler, they explained Kessler has just begun to investigate Rubinsky in like the last few episodes. And, what if it turns out like Kessler finally like finds out where Rubinsky's real hideout is, like kicks the door down and fucking Rubinsky's dead. Like that, yeah. and that's just how it ends up. Like he just died alone in the dark, you know, in some hidden compound on Fazan. Yep. One day my, one day I'll have my chance. Yeah. One day. One day, someday. But, uh, we finally returned <laughs> back to Heinesen. Yes, Overstein and the others have arrived on Heinesen. Yes, they've like arrived on like the fucking airport tar- tarmac. And like Binfield <laughs> is like 10 feet behind Overstein <laughs> and so, shouting loudly about how <laughs> like he's shouting very loudly about how he has zero intention to uh to to die for Oberstein or follow his orders. Now if we both uh, his, give him, I'll, I'll kick him out of the carriage. Yes, his adjutants are like, Binfield, please, you are 10 feet away from him, he can hear you. Binfield says, it's a Binfield tradition. When you praise someone, you do it loudly, and when you denounce them, you do it even more loudly. (laughs) Just fucking start sneezing. (laughs) And then, yeah, start sneezing because it's cold, I guess. God. Uh, So much. Yes. Speaking of so much, Oberstein immediately begins... Cracking moves down on the dissidents Roy- as harshly yes. as possible. Moves into Roenthal's old office and just starts getting rid of unsavory elements immediately. Yes. Yeah, we, he finds out, we find out that he has arrested uh, Huang Lewis and Murai, yes. but uh, has also arrested the likes of uh, former Admiral Paeta and uh, Olibera. Mm-hmm. So, like, you know, 50 50, good and the bad. <laughs> Like, yeah. on one hand, sucks because, like, Huang Lewis, like, now that uh, Labello is dead and disgraced, Huang yeah, Lewis is now literally... Labello. <laughs> now Huang Lewis is literally the only good FPA politician left in the story. So, you know, yeah. shame about him. But, yeah. Um, <laughs> Basically, anyone I, who was in a position of power in the FPA 
Uh, yes, they state that over 5,000 uh, quote-unquote dissidents are arrested. Um, you yes. know, and that uh, Oversight is basically um, just kind of holding them in prison. Uh, Benfield, like we fuck- came up with a like term for this to call it like Oversight's mowing the lawn or something. Yes, yes, just a very, a very good way to describe. Yes, that uh, Oversight's very kind of harsh crackdown. Um, and uh, you know, it's kind of interesting because again, like for someone who was ordered to deal with the riots, I feel like. This sure is an easy way to maybe just make the people resent you even more, which yes. is uh, something that uh, Bittenfield, of all people, candidly points out mm-hmm. when, uh, <laughs> when we find out that Bittenfield stands for free speech. Or by free speech, Bittenfield means that let the plebs uh, 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 protest because it's not like they can do anything anyways. So let them blow off some steam by arresting them. You're just giving them more reason to protest. Yep. But... Uh, and that basically him and Mueller, like, they don't they don't quite get why Oberstein is doing this yet, but they recognize that, like, one way or another, this is going to have pushback, and it's going to be nasty if it does. And also make sure to let the viewer know one more time that Bittenfield has no intention of following Oberstein's orders. <laughs> <laughs> Just uh, continues to say it out loud as many times as possible. Make sure many everybody times in the as room... Loudly as possible. Yes, but uh, finally, everyone. the episode ends with Volin, Binfield, and uh, uh, Mueller uh, meeting with Oberstein for the first time since they've landed. Yes. And basically uh, interrogating him about his heavy-handed actions, that they have heard rumors, uh, very nasty, surely not true rumors, <laughs> that Oberstein plans to uh, use the hostages to get Iserlo to capitulate. Yes. Basically, we'll hold the hostages, li- uh, the, the the lives of the hostages, as a bartering token for Iserlone's surrender. And uh, yes, and uh, Overstein is basically like, "Yup, I'm gonna do that." Yes, and the admirals, you know, these admirals, like, you know, not just Binfield, but all three of these admirals are kind of raised in the Reinhardt Empire mold, right? These right. are military it's a dishonorable men. Like, is- action. Right, like, this kind of echoes the prior episode, right? Like, these are honorable men who respect their enemy. And to them, this is unthinkable. And, of course, Benfield is the first one to be like, you fucking piece of shit, like, how dare you? And Overstein shoots back with maybe the fucking hottest fire of (laughs) anyone in this show when he says, we can't trust admirals with no actual track record. All three of you have gotten repeatedly dunked on by Yang Wen Li. <laughs> like when your methods have shown to be complete and absolute failures every single time, why shouldn't I try something different? God. And <laughs> I mean, this is enough to just set off it and fail. He just loses it. Goes. It he <laughs> basically. He basically grabs Oberstein and jumps over the table and rushes him to the ground and is ready to just start fucking beating the shit out of him before Mueller and uh, Volin manage to pull him off. Yeah. Um, Bidfield, of course, orders, uh, I mean, uh, Oberstein uh, obviously orders Bidfield to be uh, sentenced to house arrest. Um, yep. Basically. Mueller. I like how he doesn't even say Bittenfield, you're under arrest or anything. He just starts addressing Mueller and is like, "So while Bittenfield's on leave, uh, you're in charge." Yes, it's <laughs> it's 
it is a very Binfield move. I mean, like that's the thing. I don't. I mean, I mean, it's a sorry. It's a very, very Oberstein move. move. And I don't like Oberstein, but man, that dude has a way. Like, I mean, that's the thing, Chris. Like, you know, he's doing it on purpose, right? He is. Oh yeah. And, and like, I am forced to admit, Oberstein is very good at pissing people off on purpose. Um, <laughs> yes. Like you can tell, however, that even Mueller and Volin are pretty angry about this. Uh, Mueller, of course, tries to be the voice of reason and asks Oberstein, uh, does your plan fall in line with the Kaiser's own desires? Like, how would the right. Kaiser feel about this plan you have enacted? Like, you are a loyal vassal to the Kaiser. Are you not just like us? Like, would you not, like, are you not in some ways, like, going against how the Kaiser would do this? And Oberstein basically confirms that, yes, he plans to explicitly go against the Kaiser's wishes. He right. argues that, uh... If we'd done this in the first place, then all those millions of soldiers wouldn't be dead. Right, like... Oberstein, again, we are we are brought back to the Oberstein of the Westerland incident. We need to remember that, yes, Oberstein has not pulled something like this since Westerland, but that Oberstein is still here, and he is the one who does the, like, very cold-hearted, like, emotionless calculus of, like, needs of the many over needs of the few. Like, historical precedents be damned, like, long-term consequences be damned. The only thing that matters is short-term political expediency. And that Oberstein... Yeah is the one we see here. And, uh, like he, he says, he goes off on this tangent of, or like he says that the empire is not the Kaiser's private property. And the Imperial fleet isn't the Kaiser's private force. And I don't know. I'm like, kind of, the kind of aren't they? That's the point of an autocracy. It's kind of rich to hear this coming out of Oberstein because like, For better, like you can dress it up in however many words you want, but in an autocracy, actually, yes, Oberstein, the army is the private, like, right, a crew of 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 the leader at the top. Like that is literally what they do. Like Reinhardt is literally the supreme commander of the military and the political head of state. Right, like, having Oberstein say like. If the Kaiser can meaninglessly sacrifice the lives of his soldiers for his personal pride, then we're no different from the Golden Mom dynasty. And it's almost like in that statement, in that single so statement, close to getting it, Overstein. <laughs> Overstein almost realizes why autocracies are bad. Like he's like two steps away from figuring it out, and then he steps away, but he is almost there. He is almost realized. It's like he doesn't like, get that all autocracies well eventually hit the same end point i guess i don't yeah, know yeah like it's it's very interesting that for a man who is like so self-proclaimed to be like the cold calculating genius with the cybernetic eyes that oberstein cannot see like the weird hypocrisy of the statements he's making in this episode and i think it's really interesting you know like yeah. i i feel like we could spend a whole hour just talking about oberstein's character mm-hmm. and I feel like we can't, so I, I want to just keep it short here yes, uh, at the end of episode 103. But I do have a note here I think it's that very says interesting. Oberstein is kind of a hypocrite. Yeah, and the like note here that says that. Oberstein is a dark mirror too young, Lee. Yeah, I kind of wanted to get into that, is that I think, ironically of all people, young, uh, Oberstein is most similar to Yang Lee in the sense that both are very pragmatic and both are very much like, very both are very much concerned about, like, 
about about the practicality of the actions they're committing. But I think the big right. difference between the two, other than like obviously like the very strong like moral center that governs Yang Wenli's actions, is that Yang Wenli is entirely concerned with long-term precedence. In fact, some might argue he is almost to his own detriment obsessed with historical precedent and long-term consequences. Almost every single action that Yang Wenli makes is colored by his his concern for how his actions will be interpreted by future, not just historians, but future figures, right? Like, right. Like who will invoke Yang Wenli's name a hundred years from now, right? Like, and like to, Yang to do what, right? Right, and to do what, right? Like Yang Wenli is the guy who is deathly afraid of like, like Yang Wenli is the guy who is deathly afraid that like somebody is going to invoke Yang Wenli's name to like make racist memes, <laughs> like <laughs> in essence, yes. right? Like, like he is the one who is deathly afraid that somebody is going to miss the point of his, of his actions and invoke them in the worst ways possible. Meanwhile. Oberstein is almost singularly obsessed with short-term gains, right? right. Like he is He doesn't care. He doesn't care about the legal precedent of holding people hostage to get what you want or of right. shooting someone over like, over lunch. Cause right, like, he basically very, advocated to, yeah, to call like, Young like, Wenli in for negotiations and shoot him. Like, yeah, like that's what that's literally a thing Oberstein like argued for back in season three, and like I think it's very easy for certain types to look at Oberstein's character and ask like, well, why not? Like, isn't he correct that, that like that saving a million lives is better than like you know uh, 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 you know uh, isn't saving more lives important essentially? And the thing that like. I don't mean to tinge this argument with my own beliefs, but the thing that I would argue is like, you know, we talked about this back during the very same, like, I think we talked about this during the very same podcast where Oberstein brought this up. Like, if you shoot a man at lunch, nobody will ever eat dinner with you ever again. Like, if you set the precedent that you are willing to betray, like, some of the core, like, diplomatic like tenets of our society like you set the precedent that nobody should ever trust you for diplomacy ever again and that they should always fight to the death because why deal with a person who is just as likely to shoot or arrest us at the at the table and again like i guess the like logical end point of that is you control everything so it wouldn't matter but, right, like that's the thing. I think Oberstein's argument, like, and that's the thing. I'm not saying like, oh, this argument would beat Oberstein, right? Oberstein would simply make the argument that like that only matters if you have enemies strong enough to like worry about, like, and and, and in essence, maybe Oberstein could be right that like, well, the Israel Lone Republic is essentially our last major enemy. Like, so what if I do something morally reprehensible to to crush them? We don't have any other enemies left to like be resentful about this, right? Like. You know, like, so what? Like, whatever. Like, uh, you know, yeah, like, I also <laughs> control the media. We'll stamp it out. We'll, <laughs> right. like, we'll, like, we'll, we'll erase it from the records. And there's like, that, like, cold numbers logic to everything Oversign does. We're like, yeah, I guess that makes sense. Just also, it's a really shitty t- thing to do. Right. That's the thing, right? It's like, it's a thing of, like, Oberstein has never been, like, technically incorrect in any of his arguments in this show. But... 
I think that like again, like compared to Yang Wen Lee, like here's the thing, right? It's like it's like the guys who were like, oh fuck feelings, it's all about pure logic, right? Like feelings don't matter in 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 debate. It's like actually feelings matter a lot because even if you claim to be like a perfectly logical being who isn't swayed by their emotions, for every one of you, there are ten bitten fields ready to <laughs> fucking punch you in the face. And right. you'll never get rid of them. Like, like for better or worse, you are never going to get rid of emotional people. You are never going to get rid of people who are swayed by their emotions and their feelings. And so the idea that like your so the idea that your plans hinge on a society that operates purely purely on logic is actually illogical because it isn't taking into account the fact that people, human beings, are emotional beings. Yeah. And I think that is why, like, like again, like, Yang Wenli maybe gets a little too up his own ass sometimes, but I think Yang Wenli's brand of moral practicality is actually a lot more practical than Oberstein's, like, political expediency, because Yang Wenli has a better understanding of people. Right. He has a better understanding that, like, if Yang, people do... Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, it's like, if, yeah, if Yang hadn't done things the way he did them... He would have never been able to come to negotiations with Reinhardt in the first place. Exactly. Like, like there are plenty of times when Yang Wenli could have done the politically expedient thing, but like, who can say what kind of like maybe worse consequences would would happen as a result? It, it's it's impossible to say. Right. Like, sure, again, there are the moments, of course, that maybe Yang Wenli should have been pragmatic, like taking the shot at Vermilion. Of course, there are moments like that, but for every one of for every one of those moments. How many moments are there where if Yang Wenli had been politically expedient, it actually would have been worse? And who can say? <laughs> yeah, it, who could say? And anyways, like I apologize for kind of going on this tangent because Ira, I think that uh, you kind of wanted <laughs> another. You're really blowing this one out of Yeah, there's a there's a there's like an important thing you wanted to bring up uh, in kind of relation to Oberstein's I kind of morality. I was reminded of a character in the uh, hit 1998. 99 uh ah, the legendary 1980 1998 <laughs> okay, yes. computer the, uh, RPG. yes the uh the uh well-known 1999 uh computer rpg a planescape torment uh which involves a character uh known as the practical incarnation who uh, i've i thought of during this segment uh while watching legend like heroes because this character uh, is described as practical. He is not described as evil or good, um, but very. But instead, as practical. This is a, like a D and D game, uh, a video right, game, right? It is. It is based on the classic D and D alignment, right. of Morality. So he's not a good person. He's not necessarily an evil person. <laughs> he's not working for like purely evil means or whatever. Just the things he does are incredibly reprehensible and cruel and just kind of fucked up by, right, like, by our modern standards of morality. Yeah. I mean, the way you describe it is his actions sound so morally callous that like, even if you could be argued that they are not technically evil, they are in essence still evil by, right. But by, also, by, but also everything he does like absolutely furthers his goals and your goals as the player like everything right. did come back around to help. Cannot argue. Cannot argue that it all worked. Right. It all did its job. 
but then I guess the question then is like, was it worth the suffering that infl- it, right. it inflicted? Right, like that is the, like the math you end up doing is like, well, was it worth it? I mean, that is the thing we constantly ask Reinhardt this whole series. Like, is his utopia worth it? Is it worth the millions of deaths that are at his hands? And again, with Oberstein, I think it's an interesting comparison because again, Oberstein is not someone that I think you could necessarily call evil, but he's certainly not good. He is certainly not moral. Right. He, by our standards anyway. I'm sure like to him I mean even it, even in, in his own universe's yeah. standards, like you look at the reaction of like of course Binfield was the one who's gonna like physically pop off, but you even look at like Mueller and Volen's face at the end of this episode. They are disgusted with Oberstein. Right. I think it's it's I think it's important to have this kind of stuff like immediately after talking about how it's potentially hypocrisy to respect your enemy. <laughs> Yeah, no, I think so. Because like, this is very intentional to me. Definitely. I think that these episodes are intentionally layered like this because we are intrinsically like trained to like people like Valen and Mueller, you know, the like the honorable general, right? Like, yeah, he might be killing us, but he's doing it with a smile and a handshake. <laughs> and I think that people like Oberstein are people who look at that and be like, how can you like People are dead. How can you, like, possibly uh, respect them, right? And it's not necessarily, like, that one is right or wrong, I think. As always, yeah. Legend of Galactic Heroes, it's just kind of leaving these in front of us and, like, forcing us to kind of contend with it, but... <laughs> it's, it's, but it's complex. Still, complex yeah. human relations. It, it, it is complex, but also... I don't know how complex is it. At the end of the day, I'm still like fuck Oberstein. So. It's true. <laughs> so maybe it's uh, not that complex maybe. after all. But uh, we should roll into episode one of four, where uh, Reinhardt receives news of what happened at Heinesen. Right. And uh, there's an interesting bit with Reinhardt here, kind of um, contending with 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 the reality of the situation that he is maybe sort of allowed. Yep. He, yes. <laughs> He's basically like, yeah, I probably should have seen this coming. <laughs> yes. It's it's it's, it's kind of there's a kind of good like bit of self-awareness on Reinhardt's part where he's like, oh, yeah, Oberstein probably. He would do yeah. that, wouldn't he? And like having Bittenfield there, too. Maybe that wasn't the brightest idea I had. <laughs> and then we get we get the first. Uh, well, not the first, but we get the fir- maybe from the Empire side of things. We get the first um, "What if Yang Wen Li were here?" from from the Empire, where Reinhardt kind of muses like, you know, if only Yang Wen Li had bent the knee after Vermilion and become my Minister of Military Affairs, things like, wouldn't be this way, <laughs> right? Like, how much more smoothly could this have all have gone? Um, Hilda knows that Reinhardt wants to go to Heinesen and deal with it himself, yes. so she gives him uh, her blessing to go. Um, yep. And uh, she basically says, "Take make use of Oberstein's actions to do negotiation to like actually negotiate with these alone, right? And like, then like if maybe negotiations like she, fail, then you can do what Oberstein was gonna do, right? Like she kind of like tries to soften the blow and be like, look, you don't have to go through with Oberstein's plan, like just like use it to the best you can, you know.' And uh, Reinhardt even admits here that." 
He claims, anyways, despite the fact that he totally went along with Oberstein's plan at Westerland, but Reinhardt claims here that he has never liked Oberstein, but has always followed his advice, because sure. that man's arguments are supposedly so solid, they leave no room for debate. Uh-huh. Uh, turns out that uh, Mittermeier has not actually been officially recognized as a Mariendorf successor yet. Right. Uh, because, you know, and this leads into a tangent of Hilda. Hilda and I myself cannot imagine Reinhardt at the same age that Papa Mariendorf is at of 50. Right. Like, what does a Reinhardt at age 50 even look like? Uh, <laughs> as Reinhardt is a father... Uh, yes, how does Reinhardt as a father even look like? Like, that's, what does Reinhardt with a baby even look like? Um, right. You know, well, you can imagine Mittermeier with the kid. Like, yeah. <laughs> but, but Reinhard? I don't even know. I don't even know the context of this one. I just wrote it down because I write it down every time it shows up. But somebody says, if only Kirky Eyes yes. were here. Uh, Hilda, Hilda wonders if Kirky Eyes were here, he could have dealt with this basically he could oh, he could either be going right. to deal with oversign or he would just be in oversign's position and this wouldn't right, be a problem yes. see without the context since i only just wrote if kirky eyes were here i thought maybe hilda was musing about like if only kirky eyes were here he'd be a great nanny for reinhardt's <laughs> kid you know kirky eyes would be like the really the favorite uncle right oh, yeah, all, all the reinhardt kids get excited well which uncle would be like between like kirky eyes Mittermeier, Roenthal, and Bittenfield, which is the best and which is the worst uncle for Reinhardt's kids? Oh, man. Like, Bittenfield is probably the uncle who, like, fucking <laughs> takes, like, Reinhardt's kids on some real, like, crazy-ass, almost illegal joyride. Like, takes some hang gliding or some yeah. shit. Yeah. <laughs> Just trying to think of what Roenthal would I mean, do. <laughs> Roenthal would be the worst because he'd probably only... I mean, Roenthal would be, like... <laughs> Don't forget, kid. Women are awful. <laughs> Don't ever trust them. <laughs> like Minor Minor is obviously like the uncle who like buys toys. Right. I right. feel like I feel like Kirky has, You know what? I hate to say it for Kirky has, I feel like Kirky has would be the good uncle, but he's the good uncle that the kids would not realize it's a good. He he's might a be good too much of a square. Right, he is too much of a square, right? Like, like Kirk Yaz is the uncle that's like, remember, like, a fine young citizen of the Empire always does X, Y, and Z. <laughs> and Reinhardt's kids are like, man, Kirk Yaz, can you stop being a cop for like five Kirk minutes? Kirk Yaz, you could call if you needed a loan real fast. If you were yes. in a real bad spot, you could call Kirk Yaz and he'd, he'd take care of it. Yes, I think that is the way it would be. Like, yes, Kirky Eyes, like, if Reinhardt's kid was in college and, like, need, like, you need, so we talked about this pay before. Bail. Right, we talked about this before. If you need to hide a body, you call Uncle Royenthal. Mm -hmm. If you need, if you need, like, life advice, if you need, like, advice on what to major in in college, you call Uncle, Uncle Mittermeier. Mm -hmm. Uh, if you need someone to get you to the party itself, you call Uncle Bittenfield, who uh -huh. is definitely too old to be at this party, but he'll be there anyway. If you put a keg in your passenger seat, you can drive in the carpool lane. Yes. And yes, I think I think Kirk Yeis is like... I think Kirk Yeis would be like, if you're drunk at the party, and like you're responsible enough to know you shouldn't be driving drunk, but you need an uncle to drive who won't judge he'll you. He'll pick you up. Like, you call Uncle Kirk Yeis because he'll pick you up and he won't say a word to Reinhardt. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yes, that's what that's what I was thinking of when I saw my note here of if you guys were here. So maybe that gives all our listeners a, an understanding of like the fucking 
brain space that uh, I operate on during anyway. this podcast. <laughs> the uh, conflict between the admirals has gone public on Heineson. Yes. Yes. Uh, Everybody knows. Uh, <laughs> yes, even the citizens on uh, on Heineson are talking about Bittenfield and Oberstein's very public spat. Yes. Uh, predictably, Volin and Mueller are trying to keep things under control. They're trying their damnedest. Uh, there's a great line here. I forget who says, I think it's Mueller, who's like, people might... <laughs> It really speaks to like the kind of social dynamic of these admirals. Where the guy, I think, I think it's Mueller who says people might not respect Bittenfield, but he is deeply loved by the Black Lancers. <laughs> like, if you imprison, like he's trying to like reason with Oberstein that like if you imprison Bittenfield, Bittenfield's staff are not going to take this lying down. Right. Like, because for better or worse, Bittenfield's personality rubs off on the men he commands. Right. And, so uh, Mueller and Fallen are basically trying to calm down the Black Lancers. Yes. Make make sure they don't fucking lose it. Uh because they come to they come to the Admirals for help and are like, hey, help us get Bittenfield out. And you know, they have to just be like, Yeah, we asked too, and we also got turned down, so we can't do anything. I'd bet right. my prosthetic hand on it. And so, like, that officer leaves, but then higher-ranked officers come a second time around, except this time they're angry. They're like, they're like, you guys better help us or else we're gonna fucking, like, pop off. And, like, Volan and Mueller, turns out they know how to play both good cop and bad cop. This time they play bad cop. They're like, you better shut your mouth, like... You wanna start another Royal Rebellion? Yeah, yeah. So they they back off, but it turns out that like just because the upper ranks of the Black Lancers have backed off does not mean that the rank and file are taking this lying down. Uh we are we are we are uh, yeah, yeah. we are we are we are now with a camera pans to uh what is this? <laughs> Downding uh, Avenue. Downding <laughs> Avenue where some black lancers are blown off steam getting drunk at the bar. Uh-huh. Uh, Talking shit about them, Oberstein. Yes, one of them kicks a bottle with Oberstein's face drawn on it, which is <laughs> very funny to me. Uh kicks it into the feet of an internal affairs officer who is ostensibly uh working for Oberstein. Mm-hmm. And uh Stuff happens. Stuff pops off. <laughs> yeah, it pops off. They get into a fight. It straight up turns into a gang war. Yes. We are told that over 100 are injured. Um, the Black Lancers have turned over cars and are throwing furniture and building yep. it into a, a a a blockade at Downding Avenue. Mm-hmm. Um, they are bringing out guns. Uh, the internal affairs are also setting up their own blockades <laughs> on the other side of the yes. street. Um, oh, what? Upding Avenue... Sure, something like that, and uh, it's it's about to it's about to pop off. Like nobody's been killed yet, but like it's a standoff. It's a it's a standoff, and uh, Valen is uh, sent to go deal with it, and he deals it with he deals with it in a way that only Valen could. Of uh, yes, of how does he deal with it, Hero? He just fucking drives his armored car to the middle of the intersection between the two, just gets out, sits on top of his car. With this gun in his lap yes. and just glare. Right. He specifically <laughs> glares at both like, sides. Yes, the part I love about this is he really takes out his fucking pistol and puts it on his lap, just crosses his arms, and as you said, just fucking like a like a like like a stern dad, just dares these fucking kids to even try. And uh <laughs> Meanwhile, Mueller is playing interference over at Oberstein. Uh-huh. 
begging Oberstein to show some lenience. He says that Ober he promises he'll get Bittenfield to apologize publicly because, like, like just we cannot let this happen. Meanwhile, Oberstein's like, I don't give a fuck. I'm ready to arrest the Black Lancers as rebels. Like, I'm gonna be like, like I. Yeah, it would be easy. Like, I am ready and willing to to place the Black Lancers in the same place in the history books as Royenthal's own rebellion. And, like, it's, you know, just very Oberstein move. Yes, but, but, uh, he, but he does he allow a meeting between the two. Yes, yes. So we find out Benfield is under house arrest. Uh, still talking mad shit about Oberstein to anyone who will listen. Yes. Like, I the like guy who he immediately says, food. like, <laughs> yes, go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, you could do it. You could do it. Just like Bittenfield specifically tells Mueller, like, hey, the room is probably bugged, so make sure you don't say anything that'll get you in trouble. By the way, fuck Oberstein. That guy was killing that guy to die all night. Yes, <laughs> yes. Like, uh, I was I was gonna bring up the earlier one where Binfield is being brought as food by a servant. Yes. And again, That's what I mean right. by Binfield, Binfield is just saying this shit to anybody who will listen. He's like Ah, don't worry, I'm not worried, it's poison. After all, I'm immune to poison. I've spent all these years next to Oberstein. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but yes, yes, uh, Benfield, uh, basically starts talking with Mueller about, like, how, like, how he's worried, like, that, like, beyond, like, like, beyond this whole plan, he is, he, he is concerned, he, he thinks that Oberstein's whole hostage plot is actually just a front to drag Iserlone's leaders to Heinison to have them imprisoned and executed, basically. That Oberstein, like, I mean, basically, even though, like, even though we know that Oberstein was not responsible for Yang's death, that Oberstein mm-hmm. might have looked at Yang's death and been like, "Hmm, that's I mean, not a bad way to." He was basically advocating for that before the right. Earth Cult got involved. Right. Basically, what Oberstein wanted to happen did happen thanks to the Earth Cult. And Bentfield thinks Oberstein might get inspired by that. And, like, just what if, you know, the Iserloan Republic's leaders on the way here to negotiate were tragically assassinated by, uh, quote-unquote, the Earth Cult? And there's a very, like, very tangible reality that, like, Oberstein would not be above it. Indeed. He actually wouldn't even be above pinning it on the Earth Cult. He would just yeah. he could just do it himself. Yeah, and like he just doesn't execute mi- like them he- for being enemies, you know? Yes. He wouldn't mind. Yes. And uh And yeah, it's, it's just you know, they they just really get into this conversation of like it's interesting because these are two admirals who are ostensibly on Oberstein's side, but like even they are like expressing their concern about like what is like in many ways, they kind of know that, like, they've spent so much time with Oberstein, they know that, like, this plot is not the only plot, right? Right, like, right. Like, like, in many ways, this hostage crisis is in of itself probably a front for something even more insidious. And what that is remains to be seen. Bittenfield kicks the wall in anger and uh, nurses a hurt foot yes. for a bit. <laughs> yes, it's very good. <laughs> yes, and so, uh, yeah, discuss... Basically, that's what they got. They have to deal with this before uh, before yeah. it causes problems for the Kaiser. Right. Essentially, like for better or worse, like between Oberstein's uh, actions and Binfield's own outburst, like one way or another, if there's anything they feel bad about here is that they've given the Kaiser yet another headache to deal with. Yes. 
But, and they've uh, also given Ezerlone a headache because yes, they have to choose. Yes. Right, we return to Ezerlone where they're kind of forced to deal with the situation. Uh, Poplin, as always, gets in a good comment about how when he hears that Mirai was one of the people arrested, <laughs> Poplin's like, let's just pretend this never happened. Maybe this is a good thing. <laughs> Which uh, I know, I mean, I know he's joking, but also I'm trying to remember how many like arguments did Mariah and Poplin actually get into when they were hanging out? Because I feel like Mariah wasn't that much of a cop during his time at Iserlode, right? But you know, it's also been a while. Um, Julian, meanwhile, gets into his standard Yang Wenli inspired internal right. like internal argument about like if we champion if democracy. This- then right. we need to we can't abandon these people, but also if we go after these people, we champions of democracy might be killed. Yeah, and also like that a lot of people could die. And like if this is the best like in, in, in essence, he's thinking about Oberstein from Oberstein's perspective, like if this is the best method to the least amount of bloodshed, like, then why is it that people in societies pursue honor at the cost of suffering? And, you know, just uh Yes. Really gets into it, and uh, but before they can really arrive at like a, a distinct uh, conclusion, they get news that Oberstein has officially declared on public channels that he will release the five thousand prisoners if the Iserlone leadership physically shows up at Heinesen. And Frederica kind of arrives at the conclusion that they should probably attend this meeting. If nothing else, they need to discuss with Oberstein. If nothing else, they right. need to at least make the public showing they cannot ignore right. the plight of these 5,000 prisoners. And finally, they do arrive at the somewhat canny like, argument that like Reinhardt will probably be there and that some, even if... Yeah. What, sorry, yeah, what were we going to say? Yeah, in some form, like Reinhardt yes. be present. This It's not going to be just Oberstein, basically. Right, and that even if like Oberstein is kind of a piece of shit as they put in their own words. It's not like everyone in the empire is an Oberstein brand product, <laughs> which uh, gives, uh, I believe Dustier Poplin a, the, the shutters at the very yes. idea of an entire society of Obersteins. Um, I mean, I yes, that shudder that jeez. I mean, I would too. Yes. So that even if Oberstein's a piece of shit, we can probably still negotiate with Reinhardt to some yes, degree. They straight up say uh, like, We'll not go all the way to Heineson, Tommy Oberstein. We'll make sure we get an escort from someone in the Empire. Yes, yes. Who's they, slightly more trustworthy, like Mueller. Right. They have not right, they have not forgotten the loss of Yang Wen Li and insist that they will not be traveling there unattended, that they will only uh arrive at Heineson if kept under escort by Admiral Mueller. Um more importantly, however, I think than all of this is deciding who goes yes, to Heineson. Which is not a fun scene to think about considering last time we had a who stays and who goes scene. It was before Young Wen Lee died. Very poorly. And I think that I think that they have not for, yes. I think that the, they, the know, Republic forgotten. Themselves, <laughs> they, forgotten. they have not forgotten. So Shen Kopp explicitly volunteers that he's going to be going this time. Yep. Like Shen Kopp's like no, 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 you don't understand. I'm not going to be there because, like, it's politically important for me to be there. I'm going to be there because if shit pops off, I'm going to have my axe ready to, like, fucking go to town on anybody who points a gun at us. Yes. Um, insist that uh, Kazal New should stay behind because we need... As a family man. Go home and be a family man. Uh... Go home and be a family man. Shankop is basically like, you're a nerd. You should stay behind. Um, 
Poplin also wants to go. Uh, Dusty also wants to go. Yes. Uh, in essence, a, in essence, almost all of Iserlone's military leadership leaves yes. with Frederica this time, Mer- which I Mercat think stays behind. Right, Mercat is the only military leadership that stays behind, which I think is an interesting twist this time. Like we find out that Frederica leaves with Julian Shenkop. Uh, Poplin, Dusty, and M- Louis Mashenko. Hell yeah. Shout out to Mashenko. Uh, which has me, hasn't which been has here me a little in a while, worried. But... Which has me a little worried because yeah. Mashenko hasn't said much in a while. Um, meanwhile, um, Kazel New and, and, and uh, Murkat stay behind on Iserlone. And, however, uh-huh. <laughs> before uh-huh. we can even find out uh, what would result of them leaving Iserlone, the narrator helpfully remi- tells us in the last 30 uh-huh, seconds of this uh-huh. episode that uh, this would all be thrown into array because of the rug pool incident. The rug pool incident. Whatever. What is the rug pool I don't incident? Know. I don't know. I wish I knew. We'll find out. What is, what is the rug pool incident? <laughs> Why does the show do this to us? Every time. <laughs> Every time. Uh, what happened at New York Kim Hwa Park? Right, what happened to the park? It's the same thing. Like, <laughs> like, 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 is the rug, like, what could the, what, what could the rug pool incident be? Could it be something that happens on Heineson? Or maybe something happened to Reinhardt on his way from, 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 from Fazan? I, or, I don't know. Or who knows? Maybe Rubinsky actually put his plot in, into action and there's a, there's a 20,000 strong Fazan fleet waiting at the exit of the Iserlone corridor <laughs> and they just shoot the Iserlone Republic to death. <laughs> what is, uh, what is happening? What is happening? And uh, I will say I'm a little I wonder if because so many people went with Julian and Frederica, um I almost wonder if the people who stayed behind are the ones who are gonna get got. Like Yeah, what if, if like what do they do a reverse of it? We, and we like pull a lot of the main people out of Ezerlone, which frees up Ezerlone to get blown up and then Yeah, like, what if we're Ezerlone, ha ha, sorry guys. Right, like, why? Yeah, like, what if it sort of turns into like a weird? Oh man, what if, Iro? <laughs> what if the last battle in Legend of the Galactic Heroes is Julian and the crew having to retake Iserlone <laughs> from the Earth Cult, f- who have like oh, infiltrated Iserlone, like killed Murkat and Kazalnu, and have taken it for themselves? Jeez. Just go full circle. <laughs> yeah, full circle. Yeah, why not? Like, why the fuck not? The first important battle in this show was Yogg taking Userlone. The last important battle will be Julian taking Userlone. That might happen. Just it could happen. Time, time is a flat circle in this space opera nightmare. Straight up to the other corridor. And yes. Get God. God. Just. Yeah, and it's just like. But I mean, th- that's things. I think the interesting thing is that, and th- like, despite the fact that we are now less than ten episodes in, you know, left in this yeah, show, geez. there are still so many possibilities, right? Yes. Like, what if? Because what we have to remember, the Earth Cult is actually still operating on on Heineson. Like, that's right? When they talk, and and you know, here's the thing I noticed about, you know, for what would be an interesting arc for the final like few episodes of of Legend of Galactic Heroes is. The majority of the Israel Republic are on Heineson. Oberstein is on Heineson. Reinhard going to Heineson. Reinhard is coming to Heineson. All of a sudden, everyone's the there. The most important individuals in the galaxy 
are basically could, could potentially be in the same room. Yes. And you are <laughs> tell me the Earth cult would not jump at that opportunity. Hell, tell me Rubinsky, even in his death throes, might not jump at that opportunity. Yeah. And suddenly the inclusion of Shenkop and Louis Mashenko <laughs> and maybe Bittenfield makes a lot more sense. And, uh, you see those three fighting alongside each other. Yeah. And Bittenfield and the axe. Yeah. Again, I, I told you about my, 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 my fanfic fantasy for the last few episodes of legend of the galactic heroes is the earth cult attacks their, their, their bomb goes off and they're, and they're rushing into the room. For some reason, Reinhardt is an idiot and did not bring a million armed guards for this meeting. I don't know why Reinhardt wouldn't do that, but, but, uh, all of a sudden, they have to escape through the hidden, like, escape, and Shenkop's like, Shenkop has a grin, glints at the camera, is like, uh... give me an axe, I'll hold them off. And then he hears a voice from off screen. it's like, on my pride as an Empire Admiral, <laughs> I couldn't leave a, 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 a Rosenberg mongrel to hold yes. them off to by himself. And we pan it over, and it's fucking Bittenfield holding two axes, one in each <laughs> hand. Oh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if Binfield could pull an Ovalosaur. Are you telling me Binfield would not duel? If he Mittermeier but... dual wields. All right. If Mittermeier fine, dual wields in TNT. <laughs> Binfield could do it. Dual wield. He has to. He could do it. Hold two Suntory, axes I don't know. and like a bandolier of of, of grenades or some shit. <laughs> I don't know. And uh, I and, don't know, man. And maybe because. Because this is my fan fiction, everything will go perfectly fine. Uh, Louis Mashengo will, like, despite the fact that Bidfield has two axes, he'll be, ah, sorry, Louis Mashengo, I didn't bring an axe for you. And Louis Mashengo will be like, mankind cannot fight his fate, and then rips a steel <laughs> girder out of the wall, and he fights with that. <laughs> sure, probably could, you can do it. Uh, <laughs> damn it. Uh, I think with that, that does. <laughs> What a I don't know. What are you, uh, sure. What do we think will actually happen next week? I, I don't know. That's the thing. When when the narrator leaves things on such an, an ominous tone as the rug pool incident, it's mm-hmm. really hard to tell. And like I'd almost rather just be surprised by it. Fair enough. But if we wanna if we wanna leave something here for the podcast so the viewers can laugh at us for whatever our speculation is. What's the rug pool incident? I, I think the rug pool incident is that sounds like a thing that happens either on Heinison or I legitimately think it happens to something to it's something that happens to Reinhardt on his way to Heinison from Fazan. I don't know what specifically. Like, I don't think Reinhardt is mm. dumb enough to like travel unarmed and unguarded and also high on sleeping pills. But <laughs> I could see something like you know, again, like when he stayed at a uh, Gundarva or whatever that planet was. Yes. Um, maybe it's another a- incident of like Uruvasi. him staying at a planet. Yeah, maybe it's another Uruvasi thing of he stays at a planet in between Fizan and and Heineson and something pops off that like prevents Reinhardt, like I don't say Reinhardt gets hurt or killed or anything, but maybe it prevents him from making it to Heinison in time for the meetings. And all of a sudden it's now a meeting between Oberstein and the Iserlohn Republic mm-hmm. without Reinhardt there to mediate it. I don't know. What about you? What's, what's your bet? What's your bet, Eero? 
Yeah. Hmm. If you're going, if you're going you for something, it's true. If you're going with something that's not on Heineson, I'll go with that. I'll go with something on Heineson. Maybe Sidile or somebody starts like a particularly big riot. I don't oh, know. Oh man. Maybe someone, yeah. What if it's maybe, like maybe some high brass gets shot. Yeah, I don't know. or like, what if like I don't know? Maybe maybe that's the thing. Maybe the five thousand prisoners stage a fucking breakout, and like some of them <laughs> manage to escape and like hijack a, 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 a hijack a ship, and are actually they themselves making a beeline back towards the Israelite Republic. And maybe. all of a sudden, the Israelite Republic is left in a situation of like, do we accept the prisoners, but then like doom the remaining like four thousand prisoners who didn't escape to execution? Right? Do we bring them back to like give ourselves some like negotiating negotiation like negotiating Forward, leverage? Like executes all the prisoners and says, "Oh, sorry." But you're here. Let's do something. I yeah, know. I mean, I, again, I think like as always, even with so few episodes of Legend of the Galactic Heroes, Keeping this us on universe our toes. is so vast, and yeah, like there are just so many different possibilities. Uh, but indeed, I think we're going to leave it at that. You know, our listeners can can make snide jokes about our extremely inaccurate predictions. <laughs> but uh, until then, we're going to leave it until the next episode. So we're going to take care of the housekeeping. As always, you can listen to the podcast on theglorioblog.com along with the rest of our posts. You can listen to this podcast on iTunes, Podbean, Spotify, Google Play, wherever podcasts are bought and sold. They're not actually bought and sold. Do not buy this podcast. Um, you can <laughs> also listen to it on YouTube if that's more... Yes. <laughs> you can also listen to them on... Yes, you can also listen to them on, on YouTube. That's more your speed. Um, you can watch Legend of the Galactic Heroes on High Diver VRV. You can listen to our uh, sister podcasts, The Glorio Chat and Glorio's King of the Kaiju. If uh, you are interested in listening to us talk about more recent anime, including DNT or Kaiju films. And I think that will do it. So, as always... Thank you all so much for listening. Iro, thank you so much for accompanying me on this journey. Thank you. And until next time, we will see you amongst the sea of stars. <laughs>